Welcome back to another episode of the TR Hoops podcast, Tobacco Road Hoops, with your host, Jeremy Shaheen. This episode, we're going to be talking about the previous games for Duke and Carolina, UNC at Louisville Tuesday night, and Duke at Notre Dame Monday night. And we're going to be talking about the huge matchup this weekend, part one of the rivalry on Saturday evening. Also, towards the end of the podcast, I'm going to be giving my top five teams I'm in the country right now. I think can make a deep run come March Madness. I think one of those teams is going to be a surprise, but uh, looking forward to getting into that as well. So with that, I'll get right into it, starting with the Carolina game at Louisville Tuesday night. Um, I'm not sure I've ever seen a ending quite like that. Um, Baycott, Armando Baycott involved in a lot of plays there at the end, you know, regarding that specific Baycott play where he got pushed over, allegedly, um, the flop. You know, that was a heady play by Baycott. I mean, he knew it was a physical game. He knew if he did that, that I mean, that wouldn't get them the game right there. It was a technical foul. They get the free throws, and that's it. Um, so, you know, a lot of people always say, oh, this school, you know, teaches flopping. That school does that. But in reality, it's all over the world in the game of basketball and um you know, it's, it's creating contact is, is a skill these days. I mean, that was a little a little uh, different than creating contact, but it worked. And if the refs keep calling things like that, I mean, guys are going to keep doing that because it's a winning play. And that won them the game right there, ultimately. But, you know, uh, regarding Baycott uh, on the court and the impact that he makes, that, uh, you know, he had another dominant game with 22 rebounds. Uh, just doing his normal thing. I mean, that guy's <clears throat> having a heck of a year so far. And uh, I was really impressed with Brady Manick, who stepped up. He played 41 minutes, 24 points. And I noticed a lot with Louisville when they were playing the ball screen with Carolina up top. Um, either, either guard Caleb Love or R.J. Davis, Louisville would hedge a little too much on the ball screen. I mean, the big man would come out a little too much guarding to, to contain the guard. But they didn't get back to, to Brady Manick, who was picking, picking and popping. And, you know, if you're one second late with him, he's going to get it off. And he had a heck of a night, 4-9 from 3. I mean, he was doing all the little things as well, uh, getting key rebounds, key putbacks. Uh, Brady had a, a great night um, in Louisville. Another guy that really stepped up for Carolina in a huge way, made some big-time three-point shots, 3-3 three three from the three-point line. Leaky Black, he gets a lot of... He gets a lot of flack from different Carolina fans or people around the country, but you know we all know he's one of the better ACC defensive players, um, and he's going to be up for that running of Defensive Player of the Year. But the way he hit those threes and calmly knocked them down, um, especially in big moments at, at Louisville, was clutch and key, and they needed it. That was a big win for them on the road where they've been a complete different team than how they've been at the Dean Dome. R.J. Davis had another... Pretty good game. He had 18 points, four threes. I mean, those Carolina guards are just really tough to contain. And then when you when you focus on them, you know, you're leaving Brady Manick wide open for a three. He's going to make you pay. So they're really hard to guard. And then you got obviously Baycott down low, who's you know if you're playing him straight up one one v one, he's most of the time going to get fouled or he's going to get a bucket on you. Another thing with Carolina is they typically play nine to ten guys. But without Anthony Harris losing him, um, I believe due to academic reasons for the rest of the season, and then Dawson Garcia back, um, there's some rumors swirling that he could be done in a Carolina uniform. But 
that's yet to be determined. Uh, maybe he'll come back for Saturday. No, no one really knows right now um, of his status. A guy that I've actually been really impressed with recently for Carolina is Puff Johnson. You look at the stat sheet, he had zero points, one rebound, uh, 10 minutes, but you know it's much more than that for him. You look at his brother, who's doing really well in the NBA for the uh, Phoenix Suns, and Puff is, you know, he's tried to find his way to the court. He's had, he's had injuries his whole time so far at Carolina the first couple years, and um, I think he's recognized that uh, to get on the court, he's got to play his butt off and do all the dirty work, and he's done that. I saw him make a nice charge. You know, those are just the little plays that they end up being big plays and can be difference makers, and he's, you know, one of those guys that I've been really impressed with, actually. Um, I think, you know, he was known as a shooter um, coming out. You know, everyone looks at his brother, Cam, who's, who was the best shooter of his draft class and a great Carolina player. But so far, Puff has found that getting on the floor, he's got to do the dirty work. So I've, I've been really impressed with him so far. But the, the lack of production of points for Carolina is a little concerning. They had zero bench points uh, to Louisville's 44 um, I mean, I don't look too much into that, but you would like some production coming off the bench. That guy could be Kerwin Walton, who had a really good freshman year. Um, he's he's had a weird second year. He's trying to find his place on the team. Great shooter, um, but he just hasn't found that rhythm yet. Maybe he can get it going here the second half of the ACC season, but um, they're they're kind of looking for a guy off the bench. I mean, McCoy comes in, and he played a minute on against Louisville, but... Um, they're, they're kind of looking for that guy off the bench. It would be Dawson Garcia if he can come back, but we'll see what happens with that situation. Just wanted to touch on before I get to Duke and Notre Dame, uh, Mike Pookies, the interim head coach for Louisville. I've actually been really impressed with what he's done. Uh, they were close to beating Duke this past weekend, close to beating Carolina. He suspended their captain, Malik Williams, because he was... Uh, it sounded like he was... Some of the comments he made in the public about the former coach... Uh, Chris Mack, and he wasn't being a leader. So, you know, if you can do things well on the court, uh, if you're not doing it off the court, you know, he's going to sit you. And it seems like those players are really playing hard for Mike. So uh, impressed with him so far at, at Louisville. And the kid, uh, L. Ellis, as well, off the bench for Louisville. He had uh, a heck of a night, 25 points, uh, five threes. He's from Durham, North Carolina. So I think anytime those kids that are from North Carolina. They don't get recruited by Duke or Carolina or NC State. There's a little something extra special for them uh, going up against those teams, a little extra meaning behind it, feeling that they were kind of looked down upon from those programs. So he, he had a heck of a game. Then you look at the Duke, uh, Duke game against Notre Dame on Monday night. Going into that game, Notre Dame had won 10 of 11 games. Um, they were still undefeated at home, hadn't lost a game at home. And it was the first sellout since uh, 2019 when the Duke Zion team came uh, to South Bend. Um, so they were pumped up. I mean, that was a game that would really boost their resume. Notre Dame's, uh, they beat Kentucky at home. They beat Carolina at home. They were licking their chops for Duke uh, for sure. And the crowd was, you know, the crowd I noticed was doing anything and everything to go crazy. I mean, a free throw, a jump shot anything to just erupt and Duke actually did a really good job of keeping them out of it the whole time and not letting the crowd affect them um, you know Duke Duke should be used to that everywhere they go it's it's the biggest crowd of the year for that team but uh, they did a really good job at Notre Dame and containing the three-point line Notre Dame has great shooters 
they held Notre Dame to 28% field goal percentage and 16.7% from three, which are both season lows. So that was the key to that game. Duke's offense did not look very good, but sometimes you got to muck a game out and make it. Uh, it's not going to look pretty, but uh, win's a win on the road, and you'll take it anytime you can get it. They actually held uh, Goodwin. He's over 50% three-point shooter for Notre Dame to zero points. I uh, credit Wendell Moore for that that work mostly, and he did a great job on him in closing out quick um, because that guy, he's a flamethrower. I mean, he, he's done it against Kentucky, Carolina, big teams, um, athletic teams. He's a, he's a great player. So uh, Wendell Moore did a really good job on him. They also did a really good on Nate Leshesky, um, who's had some big-time games from the three-point line. Um, as well as uh, Wesley, um, who's Blake Wesley, who's a, a potential first-round pick, a freshman, potential one-and-done um, out of Notre Dame. He went 3 of 15, so uh, all in all, Duke did a really good job defensively that game. Part of it's Notre Dame missing some shots, but Duke it felt like got under them. They had more athleticism than them, and uh, they kind of imposed their will on them, especially with Mark Williams in the back blocking some shots and um, you know, protecting the rim. So now I'll get into the matchup uh, Saturday night, 6 o'clock in Chapel Hill. Um, you know, all those games are always huge with Duke and Carolina, but this one seems to have a little bit more meaning behind it since Carolina is really looking for that. They're looking for their first quad one win. Uh, right now they're 0-6 in quad one games. Um, their best win being Michigan at home, Michigan team that's Kind of been up and down this year, struggled quite a bit. But UNC has such a dynamic offense. They're 13th now in the country in three-point percentage. Um, you know, Baycott's doing his thing down low, averaging 16.5 points, 12.5 rebounds, just dominating uh, most every game that he doesn't. Every game that he's not in foul trouble, it seems like he's really putting up those those numbers. They got Caleb Love, who's shooting 42% from three. R.J. Davis, who's shooting nearly 43% from three. I mean, your two guards who have the ball in their hands the most are, are shooting over 40% from three. That's hard to find and very hard to guard uh, for opposing teams. And then, like I touched on earlier, Brady Manick, he's almost at 40% from three. And then uh, Kerwin Walton off the bench. I mean, you always got to keep an eye on him. If you let him loose, he can get hot. And then now, I mean, Leaky Black, he went 3-3, three three, like I mentioned last game. And, you know, maybe you you got to guard him a little bit differently. But I think, you know, you got to play the numbers. I think you got to let him beat you from three. Dare him to shoot um, if you're Duke or any other team. And uh, he may make you pay like he did against Louisville. An interesting stat that I was finding with Carolina is they're the last team in the country, 358 out of 358 of turnovers forced. So they really don't force you into turnovers on defense. Um, and for Duke, that, uh, that's that been a problem recently. They started the year really well, not turning the ball over, but in the ACC play, they're well below the bottom half of the ACC in turnovers each game, giving the ball up. Some really bad turnovers, you know, into layups, not dead ball turnovers, um, like out of bounds. Um, really, really bad, careless mistakes um, on Duke's part recently in the turnover category. And then another stat with Carolina is their 332-ranked uh, um, bench minutes. So they have a short leash. You know, Hubert's not playing many guys. A lot of that is due to, like I said, Anthony Harris, Dawson Garcia, uh, those guys being out. 
you know, last year they were 84th in the country in bench minutes played. So now they're towards the bottom of the bottom of the country um, of teams and, and bench minutes played. Um, so that's putting a lot of pressure on the starters um, to get, you know, a lot of the production done. But right now in efficiency, Carolina is 22nd in the country offensively and 77th defensively. Um, so those are pretty good numbers. Um, they've had some a tough time guarding uh, quite a bit this year, um, staying in front of the ball. And I know Brady Manick struggled a little bit down low with, um, you know, some guys that are more athletic than him. But, I mean, what Brady lacks on defense, he gives you an offense. Um, so, uh, and, and if they can get Dawson Garcia back, I mean, I think that's, obviously huge for him. He's had a, a tough year with concussions and I know he came in, you know, thinking I'm going to be one, one year here and out to the NBA. And I know those were his aspirations, like every kid, uh, to come in and play a year and leave, uh, after being at Carolina, but it just hasn't gone as he, as he had hoped, um, unfortunately for the kid, but if they can get him back, that, that obviously changes things, um, in this Duke matchup and, and for Carolina moving forward. And then with Duke, uh, Paulo's averaging 17.8 points, 8.3 rebounds. He's up there in the race for ACC Player of the Year. He'll definitely win ACC Freshman of the Year. Um, and I think he's learning. He's, it's been a process. I mean, he's, he's still only 19 years old, and it's his first year in college, first and only year in college basketball. But I think he, he knows that um, he's starting to realize that he needs to work inside out, starting in from the paint down low out to the three-point line and not fall in love with that three because that's something he can work on as his career progresses. But in college, I mean, he's 6'10", 250. He can dominate down low with his with his skill and size and athleticism um, and getting to the free throw line, doing a better job of that. Wendell Moore, he's uh, back for his junior year. He had a great start to the season, but he's kind of tailed off. He hasn't been the same since the COVID pause that knocked Duke out for over 10 days, um, a little over a week. And I know within the program, I think there were over 40 people being the families of the, the players and um, that, that got COVID. So that was a, you know, they couldn't be together for 10 days, which is but like I touched on with uh, Wendell, he did a great job defensively on Goodwin from Notre Dame, containing him. And um, his role's changed a little bit now with the emergence of A.J. Griffin. Um, Wendell's role has changed a little bit. I mean, he still needs to be aggressive offensively, but uh, setting guys up a little bit more. I think with A.J. and Paolo being the main scorers, guys who are getting shots, um, is kind of where they're at right now as opposed to earlier in the year. A.J. wasn't playing much. He had an injury to start the year, and, um, you know, Wendell had to be a little bit more aggressive offensively. I still think he needs to be aggressive offensively, but, um, you know, making sure A.J. and Paolo get the bulk of those those looks typically. And then Trevor Keels was out a few games. He came back against Notre Dame. I think he's the best on-ball defender for Duke, so getting him back, uh, changes the defense, and he's, you know, got great size, almost built like a football player, um, and he's very physical, so having him back is, is big for Duke. And then you look at Jeremy Roach, who's played, uh, didn't have a good game against Notre Dame, got in early foul trouble and struggled in that game, but while Keels was out, he stepped up with uh, assists and, um, you know, running the team. I know Coach K, something that they've talked about for the last few years and this year again, 
that they don't really put a point, you know, they don't have a point guard. It's anyone who, you know, Paolo, if he gets the ball, he can bring it down, Wendell. And, you know, I, I kind of see what he's saying, you know, when you have guys like that. But for me, and this is just me in my opinion, I, I believe in a one-point guard system, um, having a guy that you can give the ball to. You know, you're going to bring the ball up for us. You know, granted, sometimes if you got numbers, you know, have have anyone, you know, a guy that can dribble the ball, um, have him, you know, take it off the rim and bring it up. But I typically think, you know, you should have at least one guy that, you know, you're, you're trusting in to bring the ball up the court. And I think Jeremy's proven he can do that. Um, he had an up and down freshman year. I mean, a weird freshman year with COVID and uh, like everyone had to deal with. But um, I think he's improved and, um, you know, if he can get his shot right, you know, he can be uh, even more a tougher, tougher cover for teams, um, keeping them honest with him. Duke is another team that does not go too deep into their bench. Um, you'll see Joey Baker off the bench. Uh, Theo John. Bates Jones is getting some minutes recently. Daniel Jones' uh, brother, the quarterback for the Giants who played football at Duke. Bates is playing a little bit. He's a grad transfer from Davidson. Um, and they go about eight deep. That's just, you know, eight, eight to nine. Uh, now with Keels coming off the bench. So, you know, as far as this matchup with UNC and Duke this weekend, it's obviously going to be Hubert's first game uh, in, as head coach and, and Coach K's last game at, at the Dean Dome. Um, you know, we'll, we'll have it. I think the, the what we'll see as far as matchups to start the game, it'll be Wendell Moore on Caleb Love, Roach, uh, Jeremy Roach and R.J. Davis will be matched up. I think... And this is a huge key to the game. I think Hubert's going to put Leaky Black on Paolo because um, he's Carolina's best defender. I don't really see them putting Manic uh, for an extended period of time on Paolo. Um, hopefully, for Carolina's sake, they can get Paolo in early foul trouble and you know take him out of the game in that way, which would change everything. And you know, I don't know. I guess they're going to put. Uh, Brady Manick on Griffin to start, A.J. Griffin. It's it's going to be fascinating to see what Hubert does. You know, and if Carolina does go to Manick against Paolo, I mean, Duke must force feed the post and go right at him, um, you know, and try to take advantage of that. I don't see them going to a zone. Um, so he, he's going to have his questions that he's got to answer and how, he, how they're going to come out of the gates. Um, and then Baycott. Uh, we'll be down low with Mark Williams, uh, so that'll be an interesting matchup to watch. The the bulk of Baycott and him dominating against Mark, who's had a good year defensively and goes for block shots and is lengthy. So that'll be an interest, you know, another matchup to watch. I actually think Duke's best option against Caleb Love will be Trevor Keels. So we'll see how soon he comes off the bench. Um, you know, if Carolina can get off to a big start, they may put Keels in there quick um, to try to you know, have him try to contain Caleb Love. But, you know, I think that three-point line is going to be the key. Um, you know, I think Baycott's going to get his down low. I think Duke, I don't see Duke double-teaming him. They're going to play him straight up. Uh, one thing with Mark Williams this year is any time he's played a guy that's bigger than him um, and stronger than him, he's struggled. Like, you look at Ohio State, said Key put 20 up on him. They played him straight up, and Zeb just dominated Mark that way, uh, just pushing him off the block. And then even last game against Notre Dame, the Yale transfer, Paul Atkinson put up 14 points on Mark. Uh, so Mark is at his best coming, you know, help side, trying to block a shot. 
Um, and then I think Duke will throw in Theo John, the Marquette transfer, grad transfer, uh, because he's he has the strength to maybe be able to hang with Baycott, although Baycott could get, get those guys in foul trouble pretty quick if they're not careful. I'm a big fan of Theo's game. He brings a certain intensity and uh, level of toughness and maturity that I think, uh, quite honestly, Duke's been missing the last few years. And, you know, another thing to note is Carolina is undefeated right now at home. Um, so, you know, Duke's maybe looking at their record of 16-6, and six, which is, you know, still pretty good, but that's not their record at home. Their record is 10-0 and 0 at home. So they're, they're, you know, they're a completely different team. You know, we saw what they did to NC State, just scorch the nets um, a week ago. And if Duke's not careful, you know, that could happen to them as well. Um, so they're going to have to be ready for, for that. And, you know, uh, like I said, I think the key is going to be the three-point line and how Duke can defend it and how Carolina can get some open good looks and, and hit down, you know, knock down the three. Um, you know, a guy like Caleb Love last year, he averaged over 20 between the two games against Duke, had seven assists each game last year. He looked like a lottery pick. I mean, he knows that this is – he knows this is the bright lights. I mean, this is where he can get him maybe, you know, getting into that first round, that back end of the first round, if he plays really well and steps up against Duke on the biggest stage. And it's such a big game for Carolina as they're looking for that quad one win. I mean, it's not just the rivalry. They need this for their resume um, to boost that, to get a better seed in the tournament. So, you know, obviously it's going to be a sellout at the Dean Dome. It's going to be a wild crowd. Um, if, if UNC can get off to a great start, you know, they may be able to put Duke to rest early. Um, but we'll see if Duke can hang in there. They got to take care of their matchups. I mean, I think whoever Brady Manick is guarding, you got to try to pick on him, whether it's him guarding Griffin or I really don't know what Hubert will do. Maybe he'll put him on a guy like Roach, maybe, um, because he's not much of a threat offensively. Uh, so that that could be a key because they need Manic in there to spread the floor for the guards to get loose. Um, so that that will be interesting to see. All in all, I would say my biggest three keys to the game are number one, the three-point line. UNC is third in the conference in three-point percentage, and uh, they take a lot of threes, and Duke is first in defensive three-point percentage. So something's got to give there. Um, and then I would say number two, rebounding, offensive rebounding for UNC. They're one of the top rebounding teams in the conference. And Duke is on the bottom tier of uh, defensive rebounding in the conference. So they give up a lot of offensive boards if UNC can get those putbacks and maybe kick out for threes, extra shots. And number three, I'll go with other than turnovers, I'll go with uh, the bench. If, if you know, what, which team can get a spark off the bench? Um, from different role players that can make an impact could go a long way in the game. So it's, it's going to be a fun game to watch and see what, what happens because they meet a second time in March at Duke for Coach K's final game at Cameron. Um, I'll just touch on a couple other college basketball notes. I don't know if anybody saw the Texas at Texas Tech game um, this Tuesday. Chris Beer, the Texas coach, was back at Texas. Uh, tech where he coached in Lubbock, Texas, um, and that that was, I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen a crowd like that. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, Chris Beard left Texas Tech for Texas. He, he's an alumni at the University of Texas, but, you know, those students and the people in Lubbock um, at Texas Tech were not happy. That was a rabid fan base. Um, so, I mean, that, that Texas Tech team, speaking of them, I mean, they got so many good things to like about them. You talk about tough.
I don't think there's a tougher team in the country than them. So I'm going to end this with my top five teams in the country, I think, right now, um, as things stand. Uh, I'm going to go, and this is in no particular order. Kentucky is up there now. What they did at Kansas, they just they blew them out right from the start. That uh, They got everything. They got experience, good guard play. Uh, Sweebway, the, the big fellow they have, is just, I mean, he leads the country in rebounds. He's all over the place. That's a guy you love to have on your team. So Kentucky, I'll go Auburn. I love the passion KD Johnson plays with, and they have the potential number one overall pick, Jabari Smith. Walker Kessler is my leading defensive player of the year right now for Bruce Pearl, and they have a lot of weapons that they use. Um, Gonzaga, I'll, I'll throw them in there. Chet Holmgren, potentially the number one pick, Drew Timmy. Uh, maybe the best low post scorer in college basketball since uh, Tyler Hansborough. His footwork is as good as I've seen in the college game. Then I'll go with Purdue. Um, although they almost blew that lead against Ohio State this past weekend, uh, I, I still like what they have. They're very, they got a lot of depth um, and a lot of talent. Jaden Ivey is a potential lottery pick in the draft this upcoming year. Travion Williams off the bench, big. Uh, who was an all-Big Ten player last year coming off the bench, that uh, Sasha Stefanovic, the shooter, he can do more than that as well, get to the basket. Um, and then Zach Eady, the big fellow, 7'4", just a monster down low. Uh, there are a lot to handle. The last of my five that I'll choose right now is Wisconsin. I know people might be surprised of the Wisconsin pick since they're not regarded as a top 10 team in the country right now, but I really like Johnny Davis. He's a He's, probably, he's going to be a lottery pick, I would think. Um, such a good talent, can do it all. And I think anytime you have an NBA type of guy like that, um, surrounded by veterans, uh, Brad Davison back for his fifth year, great shooter, uh, just a lot of experience. And they're number one in the country as far as taking care of the ball, so they protect the ball very well. I just think that really bodes well um, in March and moving forward. So I really like that team. Next week we'll be talking about uh, the, the recap of the Carolina-Duke game and you know, both of those teams, Duke and Carolina, it's obviously a big game. It's a rivalry game. But they're going to have to move quickly after these that game. I mean, Duke plays Monday night against Virginia, so they're going to have to move on quickly. They'll have one day's preparation for that, and Carolina plays Tuesday night at Clemson. So they'll both be right back at it. Uh, thanks again for listening. This is Jeremy with the TR Hoops Tobacco Road Hoops podcast.